Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. And I've got a few men on the podcast with me today. Gentlemen, would you introduce yourselves? How's it going, guys? Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. Kevin Kenora, Pastoral Assistant. And this is Rob Spikes for Pastor Discipleship. All right. Well, we are getting back into the rhythm of doing podcasts a couple times a week. Yes, sir. And um, one of the things that's been on my heart lately, uh, basically, I was a youth pastor for seven years, and then I've been a pastor now uh, for 11, a, a lead pastor. And I deal with a lot of, I've dealt with a lot of kids, I've dealt with a lot of youth, I've dealt with a lot of parents. And I hear a lot of questions from parents, a lot of concerns from parents. And um, I've had to deal with the, the sad reality of some of those students walking away from Jesus. And as I've talked to parents and listened to their concerns and uh, pressed them on some things, and I've, I've kind of narrowed some, I've kind of come up with like five lies that Christian parents believe that create problems in either their parenting, in their home, or in the transmission of their faith and values to their children. So these aren't necessarily, so I've got, so the next five podcasts, um, we're going to be doing five lies that Christian parents believe. We're going to take uh, each lie and do one podcast on it. I imagine these podcasts, they're not going to be exhaustive because that would probably exhaust you. It would exhaust all of us in here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So this is meant to get our feet in the water, just to tip, dip our toes in the water. And so if you are hearing this for the first time, you might go, whoa, what is that? You know, if, if this is a lie that you believe, you might be smacked in the face with it, right? Yeah. Because that's, that's um, what the Word of God does. Anytime that we have any ignorance or any um, area that, that, we're not, that we're kind of blind to the truth, it might hit us like a ton of bricks, yeah. and that might really offend us sometimes. So if it does... Um, don't get too offended. Please let the word of God do that and email us. Let us know. So if we didn't say something clearly or you want some explanation or some further scripture, whatever, we would love to provide that for you. So dipping our toes in the water here. Um, we're going to go through five lies that Christian parents believe. Yeah. Um, anything else? You guys want to say anything before uh, off the intro of that or you just want me to jump into well, it? Well, just to be clear, we're not doing all five lies today. We're no. doing, yeah. we're going to start with the first one, but yeah, yeah, five lies. And, uh, we're trying it, to wear ourselves out here, right? We're going to slow it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I would say just, just from my own perspective, you know, uh, down the road a little bit and also kind of uh, you grew up in a non-reformed church. Um, uh, I, these, these have become new to me only within the last 20 years or so. Mm. And uh, so to have these, to be really considering these things early on. So my children were already pretty far along before I kind of came into understanding more of the covenantal truths that we'll be talking about. Uh, to, to know these things when, when your children are young, oh man, that's, that's a good thing. This is yeah. a good thing. So if you get slapped, slapped in the face a little bit, give God thanks yeah. and then say, okay, what does the scripture say in mm. terms of, of what God intends for our children. Yeah. So. so none of these things are going to be new. Yeah. <clears throat> these are all historical, um, orthodox truths of Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's just we, many of us, have either grown up or we've came to faith in a situation, a historical reality that we've lost a lot of these historical truths. Right. Like in our culture today, we've been taught some lies mm -hmm. and we've we've missed out on some of the riches that Christianity's provided in the centuries past. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, so 
these things are all, no, I didn't come up with these. I didn't go to the, you know, the woods and just get them directly handed down from God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are just things that have been passed down from generation to generation through the scriptures and through um, the right living of God's people, yeah. okay? And I think what's important too is just even like explore um, some of the heart issues that you have in your own heart. I mean, we can't, we can't walk those things out on this podcast, but why do you believe that lie? You know, mm-hmm. what happened to you? What, what in your story happened or why you're believing that lie or why you're not training up your kids and some of the five pieces that we're going to be walking through. So yeah. I think do that hard work on your own at home and um, see what God does. Yeah, or in your missional community or contact a pastor. We'd yeah. love to help you walk through that. Okay, without further ado, here it is. Uh, number one, the first lie that Christian parents believe is that my kid's salvation is basically a flip of the coin. My kid's salvation is basically a flip of the coin. In other words, many of us are tempted to believe that God has made no promises to Christian parents about our children. And Calvinists, as Calvinists, as people believe in God's sovereignty and divine election and all that, we can be tempted to kind of have a hyper-Calvinistic perspective that says, well, God is sovereign, therefore my kid's salvation is in his hands, not mine. And that would lead us to have kind of a hands-off approach. Maybe we pray for their salvation, but hey, it's, since, since salvation belongs to the Lord, um, it doesn't really require anything from me, and it's just totally up to God, yeah. right? Now, that statement is true. Salvation does belong to the Lord, but God normally works out his sovereign purposes through our actions, yeah. right? So if, if we have a hyper-Calvinistic perspective about prayer, we just say, hey, God's sovereign, I don't need to pray, except yeah. God sovereignly commands us to pray, yeah. <laughs> right? Faith and works here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so here's what I want us to see. Salvation is not a flip of the coin. It's not totally random. God wants to save your kids. Yeah. God's plan A for the salvation of the world has always been to save us to, and then for us to train our children in such a way that God would save our children and then to evangelize the world so that we would live our lives under the Lord we would raise our children unto the Lord and the watching world would look in and say, oh, I want to know that God and God would save the nations. God would save the world. Yeah. Now, we've lost that reality. Somewhere between 50 and 70% of supposedly Christian parents, their children are no longer walking with Jesus, no longer following the faith, no longer attending church by the time they're done with college. Mm. So, and there's a lot of people out there that would say, we would be evangelizing the world. We would be saving the world and changing the world if we could just keep our kids, mm. right? But many times the church is so focused on outside her doors that we're, we're losing our own kids yeah. inside our doors, mm. okay? So Deuteronomy, or we have that text, Deuteronomy yeah, yeah, yeah. 7, 9. I have it. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. To a thousand generations. Hold on. To a thousand generations. Think about that. If that's if a generation biblically is forty years, that would be forty thousand generation forty thousand years. Yeah. yeah. Right? We are maybe what, ten thousand, eight thousand years from from the biblical story, from when that was given. 
So think about God's long-term vision for the salvation of the nations. And he keeps his covenant to 40,000 years, a thousand different generations. Now think covenantally here. Think about our children and their children and their children. God's plan is for the faith to pass down through each of us to our children, to our grandkids, to our mm -hmm. great grandkids. And that's how the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It says mm -hmm. in Hab Habakkuk. That's some good news. Okay? Now, <clears throat> I know that's Old Testament, but let's slap some New Testament on it. All right, got some New Testament here. Acts 2, 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brother, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Okay, we see both here God's providence in salvation, but we also see our own um, responsibility. What do I mean by that? Listen, for the promise, so the promise to repent, believe, baptize, yeah. be saved, for the promise... Underline that word promise is for who? You. Yeah. And for your children. Yeah. And for all who are far off. So we mm -hmm. see you, your kids, the nations, right? Yeah. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So we are not denying that God is sovereign in election. God, it, We cannot save our children. That's true. We cannot save our children. But God has ordained an ordinary, normal means of grace, and that is covenant succession. Yeah. So we're in the covenant. Our kids are in the covenant and God is meant to use that to save our children, mm. right? As a means of grace to save our children. Now, so why do you think it is that people like forget about that covenant? They, they forget about like what God has done in this with raising their kids up. Well, and I think there's, I, I think there's some good heartedness yeah. in um, forgetting it. Yeah. This sounds a little strange, but Meaning that there is this fear that somehow the child, a child, and I think there's maybe even a response out of a child who is maybe is raised in a family of which they were baptized somewhere along the way. It could be either pedo baptism, yeah. uh, baptized as an infant, or it could be even believer baptism, old, uh, you know, as they're a little bit older, and and they're fearful that somehow they haven't personally really trusted in the gospel, and yeah. so. There's almost this fear of, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to, I don't want to give them a false. I don't want to assume the gospel. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to assume the gospel in their lives. I don't want to give them a false uh, sense of security that somehow they're saved. And so then off they go, you know, living, living their life any way they want to. And yet they're all the whole time thinking, I'm saved, I'm saved. Yeah. So I think this is out of a, I mean, I think this lie that people mm -hmm. believe is out of a good heartedness, interestingly enough, to, to, uh, not to want to create, you know, not, not to want to have a false security for these children. Yeah, yeah and, and I would say also, we have seen this <clears throat> negatively applied to culture mm. as far as if you're baptized, you're saved. Yeah, like sure. with with Catholic yes. regions and, right. and or even some reform Lutheran, Lutheran, Lutheran many times. And yeah. so they thought, well, if I just get my kid baptized, then he's therefore he is saved. Yeah. Yeah. And now you got a whole society of baptized people, but none of them are actually converted. Right. Yeah. And this is what uh, this is actually what got Jonathan Edwards fired from his church. 
Mm. Because it was after the Great Awakening and the revival that happened, and he saw all of these people that were professing faith and had been baptized, yet they were not walking out there. They weren't obeying the commandments. Mm. They weren't. And so he was saying, no, I'm not going to let you come to the table because, yeah, you're baptized. Yeah, you profess Christ, but you're not walking the walk. Yeah. You're not obeying the commandments, so I don't think you're actually saved. And his church fired him mm-hmm. over that. So we, we don't want to... So there, the church has... Um, fallen off the side of, let's call it dead formalism, dead formalism, where just, if you just go to church and you just get baptized, you're automatically yes, a Christian. Right. And then I was, I was born into a Christian home, so I'm automatically a Christian. Right. Mm. We, we, we can fall off the horse on that side, but we can also fall off the horse on um, treating our children like they're unbelievers until they've proved it to us. Right. Yeah. Right. And we don't want to, we don't want to do that either. And just to believe like, well, I guess it's just up to it's up, just up to the Lord. I'm just going to take my hands off. I can't really do anything yeah. about this, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is going to be interesting. I, I won't go too far with this, but this can be interesting to see because really this is a, this is a question of the relationship between grace and law. Yeah. How does the law work itself out for those who are saved in Christ? In other words, who have received the grace of God, does, is the law necessary anymore? And I think, this, I think we're going to see that actually, yeah, God continues to command us to do certain things yeah. in grace. Yes, and I would say even before we get there, yeah. listen to, okay, there's a great book out. It's, it's one of the first books I read on uh, raising children, probably 13, 14 years ago. And it's called Standing on the Promises by Douglas Wilson. So I'm going to recommend that, but I'm going to quote a, uh, something from him here. Hmm. He says this, quote, the heart of covenant keeping is promise believing. Okay, so before we get to understanding grace and the law, there is this, the heart of, so we believe God in his grace has came down and made a covenant with us, right? Mm -hmm. What's the first step when God shows us the covenant he's made for us, the promises that he's made to us and for our own salvation, for our kids, the first step is what? Faith, right? We have to believe it, right? So not, we have to obey the law, First step is we have to believe. So he says we have to stand. We have to stand on the promises of God. We have to trust God at His word. Okay, so that means for us to keep our side of the covenant with God, we must trust Him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To stand on the promises that He has made to us in His word and to obey Him, and then to obey Him. So stand on the promises, believe it, trust it, and then obey Him. That is our responsibility yeah. as parents, yeah. right? And I think it's key to that trust piece, right? I mean, because in the culture we live in right now, like a lot of people, they just don't trust people um, because of how they were raised or, you know, what they have saw. Uh-huh. Um, but I just think like in the midst of that, we have to remember that to have in the process of having faith, we have to trust yeah. God. So God says the, the promise is yeah. for us and our children yeah. and all those who are far off. Do you believe that? Mm. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to save your children? Yeah. Or are you living in fear, mm. right? Because you can micromanage your children and just swarm them. Yeah. And, or you can just kind of, you're not standing on the promises either if you just hand mm-hmm. them over to anybody else and you're not really worried about them and you're just, because it's just a flip of the coin, you know? Right. Hey, and many people do this who got saved out of the world. Mm. If you were radically saved, you know, in a drunken stupor one night and the angel knocked you off, you know, out of your car and you woke up in a ditch and Jesus Christ was there and let you touch his pierced hands and he rose you from the dead, right? And then he showed up in your hospital bed later on that day, yeah. and right? And he just walked you through the covenant of grace and you came to Christ. Well, then you might think, well, that's normative. Yeah. 
I guess that's how God saves everybody. <laughs> you talk about Saul and Paul right there. <laughs> but <laughs> the I know, was killing Christians. But I, yeah, but I know many people that yeah. have had a radical come to Jesus moment. Yep. You know, my, one of my best friends was sleeping with his girlfriend and he woke up that next morning and God said, you're going to be a youth pastor. And he rolled over, and rolled over and told her that. And she grew up in a Christian home. And she's like, well, you got some changing to do. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, right. And she told him and, and it ended up becoming. He ended up, God did save him that way. But we can think that's normative. Therefore, I'm just waiting for God to miraculously appear to my child mm. and save them radically. Okay. Right? Sure. That's not normative. Right. Okay? So what does uh, David say in Psalm 103? Yeah, in Psalm 103.17, David writes, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Okay, so we here we see a promise. The promise is the steadfast love of the Lord, that's that covenantal love, is from everlasting to everlasting. It's eternal. Eternity past, eternity future, on those who fear him. And look, and his righteousness to what? Children's children, yeah. Yeah. right? We're talking multi-generational promises here. Okay, what's our response? That's the promise to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. How do we keep the covenant? We First off, we believe it. We stand on the promises. And then what? We do his commandments, right? We, we, we obey. We, we do what God's called us to do, okay? So here we see a covenantal promise. Our response to that promise that God wants to bless us and our and our kids give us righteousness and righteousness that goes to our children's children, our response should be faith. Father, I trust you. Father, I believe that you want to save me and my children and their children. So first, we believe it. When you believe it, you rest in it. You thank God. It's all grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. This is not salvation by works. This is salvation by sheer grace. God did this to us. It's a gracious promise to us and to our children. Can I just kind of interject Abraham in, in this only for, he's a good uh, picture of covenantal, this, uh, this covenant and how God enters into us. If you think about it, when he first came to Abraham in, in Genesis 12, he came and just simply, you know, said, I, I'm making the covenant with you. You know, you and, you and I are, uh, I'm going, you're my man. Yeah. And then out of you, out of your descendants, my people will come. It's not till later on in his life that he actually then gives circumcision as a sign and seal of that covenant. So yeah. he first has to believe the covenant, which is what Paul then goes in Romans 4. He goes back and reminds us uh, that of uh, Genesis. Justified by faith. Yeah, right? yeah, it's by faith. It's by faith. So he's, it's first by faith. A few years later, he gives him the sign and seal of that, which is circumcision. Uh, so we begin to see, so that is the, you know, it, it's the begin by faith, mm -hmm. and then he begins to then say, okay, this is what, and, and then you think about then he you know, has Isaac, and he, there's things he asks him to do. Yeah, he has to obey. So, he has to obey, so obedience comes in later. So the, the co making the covenant has nothing to do with his behavior. That's right. a one-way unilateral covenant between right. God and him. But now, remaining faithful to the covenant requires Abraham's faith and obedience. Okay, so are you telling us, if, I'm, now if I come to faith in Christ today, that God is promising that if I, when I have children, then I can believe that those children too are under that covenant, of, under that, that promise of, of salvation. Is, yes. is, that, is that what we're saying? Yes, that's what we're saying. And I'll get into it a little bit more. Yep. Now, does that, God is sovereign, and that does not 
guarantee 100% that all of my children will be saved. Right. We, right? That's not what I'm saying. But yes, God is making us a promise and we can stand on that promise. Because this is how God has intended to kind of, in a sense, press out his glory, his kingdom, as he has intended to do it through people who become saved, come to faith in his, his, his covenantal promises to them, and that they raise up children. They become, they multiply, become fruitful, and then those children then are then come to faith through the through the covenant. So, yes. Okay. Yeah. So okay. just like Abraham, the covenant comes to us. It's for us and our children. We must first believe it, really believe it. God, you want to save me? You want to save my children? You've done this all through the work of Christ. I thank you that, you, that this is a, a gift of grace. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, we must respond. It, it necessitates a real world response yeah. to keep his covenant and his commandments. We are to believe the promises and then obey God's commandments. Yeah. Okay. So we should believe that God is going to save our children and our faith is then going to be evidenced by us parenting our children the way that God has commanded us to. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Now you could go to, to James. This is n nothing but faith plus works, right? Faith mm -hmm. plus works. Covenant promises plus covenant keeping. So we want to believe the promises and we want to keep the covenant. We want to obey what God's called us to obey, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when Solomon is writing kind of the, the educational book for his son, when, when Solomon is writing down, okay, here's how I'm going to train my son, right? Here's what he writes in Proverbs uh, 22, 6. Who's got that? Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. All right. Now, this is a promise. This is a proverb. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? Now, this is a universal truth. The problem is, it is you can apply it kind of universally. So, if you train up a child to love the Chicago Bears, he probably, is most likely, is going to love the Chicago Bears. It's a good team. If you train up a child, <laughs> if you train up a child to love money, yeah. If you train up a child to mm. be selfish, mm -hmm. if you train up a child to be the center of the world, if you train up a child to think that he determines what's right and wrong or that morals are subjective, if you train up a child to believe that his emotions are the most important thing in the house, yeah. even when he is old, he's not going to depart from it. The problem is many of us think we're communicating and we're training up our children in God's ways when we're actually training up a child in secular ways, humanistic ways, our own self-centered ways, but we go to church mm -hmm. on Sunday and we hope what we do on Sunday cancels out all the other stuff that we've done throughout the week. Right. Okay, so let me, let me just, I'm, I'm thinking about this in terms of I know how this has been taught and unfortunately how I've taught it and that is in the past and that is that I've taught this as a principle but not a promise. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and part of that, I believe, I'm trying to think through why that was taught to me now and then why I passed that on. I think it came out of the fact of the very thing that you said, which is I know of stories of, of families who have faithfully went to church, faithfully had their kids go to Sunday school every, every you know, Sunday as, you know, and, and be part of the youth group. And then they go on to, they go on to college and they, they, they go off the rails and, and yep. they've, they've apostatized and, and, and such. And so then we, we, we look at this passage and we say, oh, well, it didn't work. Yeah. It must not be a promise. Yep. Yep. So yep. help me out, though. Yep. Help, help me. So first off, we'd have to define 
promise. And I think the way that many of us define promise is not a biblical is not biblical. Okay. We define promise as a 100% FDIC insured yep. guarantee. Uh-huh. Right? And that's not the way God defines promise, right? Throughout throughout scripture we see God make the same well we use Abraham. The same promise he made to Abraham and we see we see Isaac and Ishmael, right? Now, but we get in once we get into that story we realize, oh, Abraham did something different here, right? Like one was a child of the promise. One was a child of, I can't remember how we define, how it defines it in scripture, child of the promise versus child of Hagar, right? Child of his, his man-made attempt to bring about the the promise of God. Okay. Right. So we are not saying a plus B plus C, right? Equals D Mm -hmm. saves child every single time. Mm -hmm. God is, God is sovereign. God determined in the womb of Jacob and uh, Jacob and Isaac, Esau. right? Jacob and Esau. Esau, Esau, Esau. Jacob yep, and Esau. Yep, yep. Gosh, I couldn't bring that. Up. <laughs> Jacob and Esau, that one he one he loved and one he, he hated, yeah, right? right? So right. this is not a guarantee, but this, but we want to define promise as God's normative. Hmm. I, I don't want to use the word guarantee, but God's normative way of doing things, right? God's normative way of doing things. So we could. Now, what we can all think of people that have apostatized, right? Oh, they had a perfect family and they had a perfect... Now, we, we, but no one can say that. Right, yeah. Because of the nature of human experience, we know a firstborn son experiences their parents differently than a secondborn, differently than a thirdborn, differently than a fourthborn, and on and on and on we go. Not only that, we don't... The reality of human experience is you can come and... Proverbs teaches us this. My son, my son, my son, beware the immoral woman. Mm. Why? If he believed in the covenant promises, it didn't matter if he, if he, met, if he met an immoral woman on the road, right? right? No, because we are susceptible to temptation. We are susceptible f- to attacks from the enemy. Yeah. And we're fickle human beings that one pretty girl, right, with the re- right perfume and the right clothes on can direct our attention away and then what? Lead us as a stag to the slaughter, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, and we don't know if that person, that guy might be led to the stag, stag to the slaughter and he might die and he might still be saved. We, 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 we don't know that, right? right. So I, I agree. I've said it myself. This is not a promise. And what I mean when I, when I have said that is this is not a hundred percent guarantee that every child that you have will, will be saved, right? Mm-hmm. Or that if you do all of the right things, it's guaranteed that you're going to be saved. But it is a proverb and it is a principle that holds true the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. If you train a child in the way they should go, we, I think many of us though as Christians, we just don't realize that our kids, they're not just watching what we do on Sunday, they're watching what we do all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so some of us might go to Sunday and go to church just to please our wife. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Our kids pick that up. Oh, dad wants just to make mom happy. And so he, he does this to make mom happy. Yeah. So then when they find a woman, they're going to do what makes her happy. Well, maybe what makes her happy is going golfing on Sunday or, or staying at home and going to brunch, right? Mm-hmm. So they actually picked up the same, they, this proverb still proved true, right? It's just our heart comes out through our actions and our kids see it and our kids watch it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
right? Now, Mike, this might come out of just our propensity as, as fallen human beings is that what we want is we want the easy way out. In other words, we want God to make a promise. We want to say, okay, I believe that promise, and then it all works out for itself. Versus God saying, oh, I, I, give you, I, I give you this promise, and now you obey. Yes. You work it out. So in other words, we look at Abraham, and it's a great picture that you gave to us, and that is that Abraham was to trust God. He was not to disobey God. He did disobey God by going to Hagar, thinking that he'll help God out a little bit, and in so doing, he did not, you know, we have Ishmael who does go apostatize, uh, it, rather than Abraham believing and trusting God and going the way God would have called him to go. So, yeah. so, so we are, um, you know, uh, my again, my fallenness wants it. I want the easy way out. Just give yeah. me a, yeah. a, a plus B plus C plus C, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and everything will work out fine. And the guy said, No, 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 you've got to obey me in, in all these yeah. things. So, so hmm. when we think about the numbers of supposedly Christian kids raised in supposedly Christian homes who apostatize, who walk away from the faith, numbers between 50 and 70 percent right, right now, right? Okay, I'm gonna say this the majority of those Christian parents did not do what we're about to say to do. There's five things. To keep the covenant, stand on the promise, and obey his commandments. There's five things that we've got. The majority of those Christian parents did not do these things, okay? Number one, so here are the duties of Christian parents, okay? Believe the promises, obey God's commandments. Here's five duties. Number one, personal obedience yourself, okay? personal obedience yourself. That means you can't just say you're a Christian and then come to church occasionally and expect your kids to become Christians. Yeah, Why? Sure. Because you're not a Christian. Yeah. You're not obeying God yourself. Yeah. You just are afraid that your kids are going to hell or they're going to go wild or they're going to do something crazy. And so you're using God as a means to get your real God, which is whatever that is, kids' mm -hmm. happiness, mm -hmm. peaceful life, whatever it is. So if you're not personally obedient to God, obeying his commandments, I, we could just go through here. Watching what you say, not, not slandering people, not gossiping, not lying, not obey the Ten Commandments, not cheating, not stealing, not addicted to too much wine, not lusting. Not, like if you're not obeying God by, and I could go, we could go the whole thing. Don't expect your children to obey God. Yeah. Like, Right? Colossians 3.21, what, what does that say? Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Hmm. Pro Man, this one, this is, a, this is a scripture that I've had to teach my children to my own demise. <laughs> All right? Okay. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Right? Because here's something that I do. I, I have, this is so arrogant of me, and it's, it's pride- but you have learned the Proverbs and you have studied the word of God and you've read all these books and you, and then you expect your children to know how to load the dishwasher the right way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Tell me that's not the truth. Yeah. And you're just like, how could you not know how to do this? Right. It's so simple. Mm -hmm. How could you not know how to speak respectfully? How could you not know how to obey me and all things? How could you not? Yeah. All of these. And the kids are looking at us like, you, you never taught me. Yep. Don't be in front of people and yep. then they bust you out. <laughs> yeah. But so what, what dads can do is either yeah. put un, heavy burdens on their kids or mm -hmm. hi, high, expectation, high expectations without the grace of humility that remembers where we came from yep. and that it's our job to lower ourselves to yeah. their standard in order to teach them to reach our standard or yeah. God's standard, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we can just sit on the couch and bark orders and expect them to 
control their anger, expect them to control their emotions. And the Bible says that's a sin. That's our sin. Yeah. That we can't provoke our children to anger and discourage mm-hmm. them, right? We need to encourage yeah. our children. So, Dad, if you're not an encourager, then you're breaking commandments. Yeah. And you need. To, and then what? What does that mean for you? Here, here's here's the gospel. Then you repent to your children yeah. when you fail. You repent to yeah. God and you repent to your children. Yeah. Christian parents who have a high standard for the kids and a low standard for themselves produce hypocrites. Yeah. Yeah. They do not produce Christians. Right. Okay. But Christian parents who have a high standard for themselves and a high standard for their kids, and they confess and repent their sins, they use the means of grace that God has given us, they confess and repent to their children often, mm-hmm. those children are far more likely to produce children yeah. or that, that follow Jesus, Christian yeah. children. Why? Because they see mom needs grace, I need grace, mm-hmm. God gives grace yeah. over and over and over. Sin breaks fellowship in the, in the family, but repentance restores fellowship to the family, yeah, right? That's good. And that's, that's a key piece. So number one, personal obedience to the commandments of God yourself. Uh, can, I, can I just go one more way of, another way of provoking your children? Yeah. Is don't give them any instruction at all. Oh. So then, then you have the, the parent who, again, would go back to kind of hands off and doesn't really give any kind of parameters, doesn't give any kind of standards, doesn't give any kind of, you know, uh, uh, just how do you handle technology? Let's use yeah. that as an example. You will provoke your children as much because ultimately they they're looking for they're needing that. They need those guidelines. They need those those guardrails yes. in their lives. And you see children who have no guardrails in their lives. Yeah. They're ultimately they're provoked in anger that nobody's showing them the way. You know. Yeah. So that's another way to and, provoke. And and because of the way that we're, God wired us we're looking for instruction. Yeah. And yeah. so they'll go out looking for that instruction in their friends, at school, in right, the yeah. world, on TikTok, on the internet. And guess what? The world will instruct them. This is, again, what Proverbs is all about, yeah. avoiding sinners that yeah. want to entice us and following the righteous, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, you can. if you have never taught your child how to speak appropriately or how to control their emotions, mm-hmm. um, then you are setting your child up for failure and you're, provo- you're provoking yeah. them. Yeah. Right. That's scary because if you don't teach them, someone will yeah. in all areas. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Like if you think of it that way, it's like, oh, like I need to, I need to teach my kids something. Yep. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Number yep. two, par- the duties of Christian parents. Christian parents have a duty to intercede for their children, mm-hmm. to pray for their children, to bring their children before the throne of God. Do we have a scripture for that in Job? Job 1.5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He's talking about his children. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Hmm. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Hmm. So we see Job acting as a priest for his family, Mm -hmm. standing between God and them, confessing their sins for them, pleading over them, we see Nehemiah do the same thing. And, and, and Nehemiah, right, he's grieved over the, his sins and the sins of his family. Yeah. Christian parents, we should be doing the same thing, bringing our children before God, asking God to save them, asking God to help us, instruct them, teach them the ways of the Lord, okay? Number three, we, are, we have a duty to our children to instruct them in God's standards. So teach them God's commandments. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All right. <clears throat> this is interesting. This is one of the most important, seminal, foundational texts of all the Old Testament. The Hebrew Shema, <clears throat> right? The most important piece. <clears throat> and listen to what Doug Wilson says about this. Quote, we must notice that the greatest commandment, that's love God, right? With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yep. The greatest commandment is given to us in the context of a passage on bringing up our children with a Christian education. Christian meaning full expansion of the Old Testament and New Testament. Parents are to teach their children the law of God, and they are to do so without ceasing. It says talk of them all the time, right? We see here a lifestyle of teaching the standards of God. Now, here's where I think many Christians have been betrayed by the evangelical church. Hmm. <clears throat> Okay, we teach our children the stories of God and very rarely the commandments of God, the statutes yeah. of God. Now, the stories are important. The Bible is one big story, the history of redemption, all of that, the stories of Jonah and David and all of those stories are informative and we do want our kids to embrace the values and become men and women like that and see how they point to Jesus. But... But God tells us strictly here in Deuteronomy, teach them the commandments, teach yeah. them my laws, yeah. teach them what is, what does justice look like? Human beings don't get to make that up on their own, right? What does God want from us? What has God commanded us? What does it look like to honor God and to worship God rightly and to live rightly before him? So we're to be so informed by the commands of God, the word of God, that we're just constantly teaching our children. Son, was that kind? Mm. No. God tells us to be kind to one another, yeah. right? Son, why didn't you forgive your sister? She did, 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 did. Jesus tells us to forgive as we want to be forgiven. Yeah. Do you want to be forgiven of your sins? Yes. Then you need to offer forgiveness to your sister, right? This kind of, this should be normal for the Christian. This should be, the Christian home should sound like this. The word yeah. of God should be reverberating and bouncing off the walls and kids should be able to repeat back, honor your father and mother so it will go well for you, yeah. right? This is the first commandment with a promise. Yeah. There's that word of promise again. Do you want to live a long life? Do you want it to go well for you? Then honor your father and mother. We have been kind of immersed in what my pastor used to call a greasy grace type hmm. environment in the evangelical church. Mm -hmm. That again, we just think God's going to save our children. We don't need to apply the law. We don't need to teach them the commandments. They're somehow going to pick up morals and pick up values and pick up biblical principles on their own through Sunday school. Yeah. And again, that's one hour a week, once a week, maybe, right? That, that's, it's not their job. It's our job as parents to teach the Bible to our children. Yeah, and I love the way he described that in Deuteronomy because it's on as you're walking and as you're you know sitting down as you know I, it's 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 this idea that uh, it's on the forefront of your your very head you know your your mind of of these great truths. And, and it's not a box you can check off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's not. We did devotion today, or yeah. we had the teaching moment. Yes. Soon as you say, guys, we're gonna I'm gonna teach you, your kids like rebel immediately. Right. Right. You know what right, I mean? Right, like right, right, right. But it's on the way. 
it's yeah, when it's, you it's see the driving down yeah. the road, somebody yeah. cuts you off, and you teach them something yeah. right there. That's or you the see moment. the homeless guy moment. on the side yes. of the street. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, you've got, hey, this girl said this to me in class today. Yeah. It's unplanned. It's yeah. reactive, and yeah. you've got to have the word of God mm-hmm. to be able to give it to your kids when they need it. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. Uh, two more here. Number four, a duty of a Christian parent is to provide godly correction and discipline to your children. Mm. Um, we got four different texts. They all kind of in the same vein here, but let's just hammer them quickly if we can. We have Proverbs 13, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Stop. Whoever spares the rod, that's an instrument of discipline, right? Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Hmm. That is contrary to what our culture would say. Hmm. Okay, so like even with our culture, you know, a lot of people can get in trouble by the law for disciplining their kid. Like, so what does that look like in this? I know God is always above everything, but so what's an example? What, what does that look like for the Christian? Yeah, well, first off, we, we are to discipline. I, I, we don't have the time to go into fully how to discipline your child here. Yeah. It should be painful. We've already talked about this. We've mm-hmm. talked about this in the past. It should be painful, and it should provide correction and discipline, but it should not be leaving marks on the or body. Abuse, yeah. or it should not be abuse. That is, mm-hmm. that is. There's two different things about abuse. You, we, again, we can't provoke our children to anger, so that yeah. means we have to be in control. Mm-hmm. We cannot be angry. We cannot discipline out of anger. When we discipline a child, and Doug Wilson does a great job in standing on the promises, you are unfit to discipline if you are out of control. Yeah. If you are emotional, if you are angry, you are unfit to discipline, and therefore um, your child will rebel. And you should, and you need to give it to the you either need to take some take some time, or you need to give it to the other parents, other parents to discipline. Yeah, right. Keep moving. Uh, Proverbs Proverbs nineteen. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Discipline your child, for there is hope. So this is what he's saying. Do not set your child to death. If you don't discipline your child, he is more likely to wind up in prison. He is more likely to do violent things and get beat up on the playground. Yeah. Right? If he if you let him run wild, he will run wild, and men are wild. Yeah. This is why 90% of the prisons are made up of men. Yeah. Right? So spare the rod, you spoil the child. Yeah. The beauty, of that, beauty of that proverb is, though, the hope that it gives at the first part. You know, what do parents want? I just want hope. I want hope that my, God, my child grows up to love the Lord. Discipline. Discipline. Yeah. Yep. Proverbs 22. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from it. <laughs> this rod. <laughs> this rod ain't going nowhere. That's, That's right. That's right. It's not. <laughs> Folly <laughs> is bound up in the heart of a child. They are not born neutral. They are not born a blank slate. They are not born wise and all-knowing. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will drive it from him. <laughs> I can attest to the folly in my own life. Hundred <laughs> percent, yeah, yeah, stupid yeah, yeah. things yeah. I did no, when I was a kid. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You get I'm, older, you're like, I can see why I got a spanker for that. <laughs> Wait, I used to pour bowls of sugar and mix Kool Aid in it and put it in my bed and eat the sugar raw. Mm. I would just eat the sugar. Wow. Right. <laughs> I would. So you drink the Kool-Aid first, though, right? No, no, no. The powdered mix. <laughs> oh, I would mix okay. the powdered mix in with the sugar. Okay. Uh, right? Wonder why I had ADHD off the charts. Oh, right? Can't go to sleep at night. <laughs> so foolishness is bound up. What is foolishness? The Proverbs tell us. Laziness. Yep. Gluttony. Folly. I mean, dis- uh, uh, rebellion. Um, unchecked anger. Unchecked anger. Yeah. The un- inability to rule your spirit, yep. to control your emotions. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, and the rod of discipline drives it from him. Yeah. So 
you want to have the fruit of the spirit, discipline your child. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? You want them to have the fruit of the spirit, discipline your child. Self-control, gentleness, meekness, all these different things. Virtue comes out of that. So what does this look like for like the single mom or for the daughters? Because it's always about son, rod, son, rod, son, rod. Yeah, yeah. Well, this like, is a father. And here comes another podcast, by yeah. the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is a father writing to a son. Yep. All right? Now, the same principles apply, okay. but we should, like God knows our frame, we should know our children's frame as well. There are some children that need spanked way more mm -hmm. than other children, right? Yeah. And so you have to understand your child's frame, but a mother is responsible to discipline her daughters. Yeah. Like, and if she doesn't, she's setting them up for failure, and mm -hmm. she's not fulfilling her duty as a Christian parent. And then as they get older, you realize that actually taking away that cell phone is more painful than any spanking I could ever oh, give Oh, for them. sure. Amen. Right? And so you take away the cell phone or you take away the friends or you, and those TV things, show. you're still bringing pain into their life yeah. and in order to bring correction. Mm -hmm. Because we've seen my daughters are profound, profoundly shaped by the things they watch on TV. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and they, they take on the attitude of the characters they see on TV. So we've had to be really wary yeah. of that. Okay. We got one more. This is going to give everybody some rest here. Proverbs 29. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. I'm going to say this. Parents of young children, it, it, if you discipline appropriately, it gets so much better. Yeah. yeah. And... Your two-year-old can't sit through the service. Your three-year-old might be able to sit, sit. But if you take them and you discipline them and you instruct them, by the time they're six, seven, eight years old, they, they can sit through a full hour yeah. and a half long service. And guess what that gives you? Rest. Mm -hmm. You're not having to go to the bathroom. You're not having to take them out. You're not having to look down the aisle and threaten them. Yeah. Right? And when your children is well-disciplined, well they give you rest at school. Or they're mm -hmm. not causing chaos and causing problems and doing yeah. all these things. They get their first job. They give you rest. So, but if you don't, this is interesting. If you don't discipline early and often God's way, you are yeah. going to be an exhausted parent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're going to be putting out fires all the time because you're chasing around a little fool who the foolishness has not been driven from yeah. them. So what do we say to the, like, the parents that are like maybe embarrassed to do this or seem like their kids are always getting in trouble or they always got to bring correction? Like, yeah. um, what's the, the good news we could say to them or how we can love God them? God honors our faithfulness. Yeah. It's hard, but do the hard work now because it only gets harder later. Yeah. So when we're bringing discipline in a child's life now, that discipline is so small mm -hmm. and really so minuscule, yeah. right? A, a swat on the butt, right? Mm -hmm. Or taking away a phone. Mm -hmm. But that, we live our life on a rising scale of difficulty. Yeah. So if you don't drive out that level of foolishness in that child, by the time they're 25 and they're drunk driving, yeah, it's right. the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's an inability to be disciplined. Mm -hmm. And now they kill themselves, they kill others, right? Yeah. So it's like, you have to do the painful thing now when it's small, even though it's so incessant and so, you know, it can be one after the other, after the other, after the other. You have to do the hard work now to prevent the death later, to prevent the, the greater pain yeah. later. Yeah. And eventually, what else? Hell. Mm -hmm. Like, hell is pain, yeah. right? Hell is absence. So we want our kids to connect. Obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals cursing, mm -hmm. right? And they get a little minuscule version of that every time they get a swat on the butt or they get a they get discipline. Yeah. Yeah, All right. All right. Lastly, so the duties of Christian parent is regular and consistent Sabbath worship. Text for that. Hebrews ten twenty five, not neglecting to meet together as as is the habit of some 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, Christian parents who don't regularly and consistently worship God in church on a Sunday morning with their church family are not fulfilling their duty as a Christian parent, and their child is more likely to not follow Jesus in the future. Now, I could have added another adjective in there because it is it is vitally important the form of your worship mm-hmm. so if you're bringing your if you're bringing your kid to some kind of emotional big emotional experience and something like a mega church type of deal or you're watching online mm-hmm. those are not biblical forms of right worship yeah. they're just not they're man man-centered man-made meant to get either an emotional reaction at us doing things big fast and sexy and a mega in a mega church model where the people on stage are super cool looking beautiful people with tattoos all over the place and it's a big emotional experience and it really just feels like the world but now the lyrics have god in them okay Mm. that's not shaping their hearts towards god when are they confessing their sin when are they getting a sense of the great and awesomeness of their god when are they trembling in his presence right when are they singing psalms hymns and spiritual songs There's a lot that goes into that. So we want to have a church that worships God rightly, right? Mm -hmm. Confession, repentance, the the Lord's Supper. But the regularity and the consistency of that also matters. Our kids pick up what is most valuable to us, right? Mm -hmm. And if their sports are more valuable than Christian worship, then you are raising someone to worship their sports or their own stuff, yeah. not worship the God of the Bible, and you are less likely to yeah. pass on your faith to your children. Mm-hmm. And I think we just got to be cautious too, as parents, of like giving our kids a choice when it comes to those type of things, because um, Scripture talks about how in our house we will serve the Lord, yeah. and you don't get a choice to like come or not. And, and the hope is that in the midst of that, that as we have this regular um, basis of coming to service and building community, yeah. um, that they will build that relationship with their community, come to Christ, and. All the above. So when I laid out this, these are five duties of Christian parents. What I mean by that, if you don't do these, you're sinning against God. Yeah, for sure. So if you give your kid a choice to come to church, you're sinning against God. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you're you're abdicating your responsibility as a parent to to your child. child. It's absolutely, to a fool. Yeah, yeah. To the one who has foolish is bound up in his heart. (laughs) Right, 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 for sure. Like, so you should repent. If you've done that in the past, you should repent and you should tell that to your child and you should resolve tomorrow or next Sunday to be back in church and to be worshiping God. So again, these five things, our own personal obedience to God's commandments. Two, that we're interceding and praying for our children. Three, that we're instructing them in God's commandments and God's standards. Four, that we are providing godly correction and discipline. And five, we have regular and consistent Sabbath worship as a family. Now, here's what I'm saying. If a Christian does those five things, right? They, that is obeying the commandment. So we're trusting that God wants to save our children and then we're going to obey God in those five things. We can be highly confident that God is going to save our children, Yeah. right? God is going to save our children. And mm-hmm. our children are going to love what we love. Yeah, right. Right. They're going to love God, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we want to see happen. Yeah. Okay? All right, so we talked a lot there. And you might have questions. You might have pushback. Um, we want you to email us. If you do, you can email me at justindeen at sacredcitychurch.com. We want to be a help 
to you. We want to be a blessing to you. We want to, we want to see all of your children following Jesus all the days of our life. We're building a church here that's meant to be multi-generational. That means it's not just for us. It's yeah. for our kids and for their kids. Amen. Right? Yeah. So that's the hope. We're not doing this to try to beat anybody up or try to be mean-spirited or any of those things. We're doing this because we love you. We love your kids. And we want to see those grandkids come to Jesus as well. Yeah. So, All right. God bless you. We're praying for you. Talk to you soon.